Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 119, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Boston is giving all kindergartners $50 each for college. And why would a high school in Tennessee paint over the mirrors in the bathroom? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, Decision Education will tell you how you can teach your students to create better habits and mindfulness. Stay with us. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by the principled principal, Christina Pollard. Christina... Um, I have a question for you, and it's like a it's like a question from a parent to somebody in the education system. It's like I need advice. Hit okay? me up, okay? And and this may have been resolved already, but either way, I still want to hear your perspective. If a parent has a son who or daughter who is just getting crushed with homework, I mean, like smart kid, all A student, but four or five nights a week, weekends up till midnight, like just getting crushed. At what point is it okay for the parent to raise the issue? And, you know, you want to be that supportive parent that doesn't challenge a teacher all the time because you, you know they know what they're doing. But at what point is it okay? When is it excessive? Um, is that's, it that's a very interesting question. I think there's a couple of things we have to look at here. To think about the grade level, mm-hmm. um, the particular course the student is in. But at the same time, um, parents... High school d- AP course. Oh, wow. Um, no matter what course or grade level is, we have to remember that homework is practice. Mm-hmm. It's practice for a skill already taught. And if a child has mastered the skill, why do we continue to lay on the homework? Yeah. So, But generally, parents don't know that information. And I think as a parent, if you have a concern about your child, I don't think it makes you a helicopter parent. If you just ask the question gently, What is your homework policy? How many hours or how much time do you think a student should spend on it? The homework that you're giving, uh, is it about skills you've already taught or is it new? Because a lot of times that's a mistake that teachers make. We give homework for skills we just presented today Mm -hmm. and it takes so long for them to complete it because they haven't mastered the skill. So they're struggling. Right. I guess if, you know, teachers strong teacher, good teacher, they're, mm-hmm. they're in the position they're in for a reason. You know, as a, as a leader, at what point do you start to say, why am I hearing from so many parents about the homework load? You now, know? if I'm hearing from a lot of parents, yeah. then it is going to raise my question about, okay, well, how much homework are we giving and what's the depth of the assignment? Right. Um, but really, as principal, I probably should already know if I'm reviewing lesson plans and keeping track of instruction. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you can give homework on the cuff based on the progress or lack of progress you've seen in class that day as you're teaching. And you might shift your lesson plan right then and there um, for the benefit of the student. And if it's really taking them that long, I don't think a parent should ignore it. I think they should talk to the teacher because your child might need some extra help. And you can't help them. Nine times out of ten, our parents can't help. Right. This is true. Oh, you're good. 
This is true. I mean, it's gotten to where, like, for me and with the kids in high school, like, yeah, I, I can't help, especially math. Like, mm-hmm. the math level that kids go through now is so much more accelerated than when I was in school. Listen, I don't know what's happened. My 15-year-old son is a sophomore, and he's in Algebra two. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy how quickly it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate the advice. So what's going on in the teacher's lounge this week? Oh, wow. I have a fantastic story to share with you today. Um, there's a group who really is paying attention um, to education and what we need um, in Boston. They've gotten together and decided to give $50 to every kindergarten student to help them begin their college saving fund. This is cool because... I like, it, we, all right, $50 isn't going to go far, even if you invest it. Like, it's only going to do so much. But what it does, what's the hardest part about saving in, my, in your Getting opinion? started. Getting started, right? Like, setting up the account, like, and taking the time to have it there. And so I'm assuming that, you know, they stick $50 in an account that you could add more to it. Absolutely. And, and that's really, like, you know, what I love about this idea. Hey, there's a couple of ways to look at that. One, it definitely shows parents, even parents of poverty, that you can start with anything. They're five years old in kindergarten. Think about how many years you have to contribute. Basically. Um, Exactly. And then it shows those parents that, you know, I'm not alone in trying to provide a better future um, for my child or for my children. Um, the struggle that they've been through, somebody else understands. But then now you're talking about financial literacy and children are learning about it if you involve them. I think um, some other cities may even have done this before. I don't know if like a smaller city would have the resources to do it, but it's good to see somebody like Boston. I think maybe San Francisco was the other one that had done it. Well, look, they're investing in the future of a child, but really they're investing in the future of their city. Right. They understand that they need to continue with um, making sure that students, you know, receive an education beyond high school so that they can come back and serve and keep Boston going strong. Um, A smaller community may struggle, but remember that there are lots of people out there that don't mind sharing their money. Um, There are also many, so many grants. And so if a city organization thought about it, I'm sure they could put their heads together and find a sponsor, a donor, or a grant that can help them get something like that established and maybe write it in a way where there's a contribution added over time. Right. That is good. And and do you know if in this case, like there's any type of matching or anything like that? In this article, actually, there is there's there's some matching funds that will help, but it just really helps those parents and educates those parents on the importance. Yeah. And, and so um, saving for college is always it's stressful, right? Like Very. There's, there's a few things I think that us as parents, um, you know, worry about. And it's one college. And then am I silly for doing this? I've actually set aside money for my daughter's wedding. And no, you're not. She's four years old. <laughs> you are not silly. We, we came across some money from a, a grandparent, and I thought, you know what? Like, I don't want to necessarily – I'm already doing the college thing, so I'm going to put this for a wedding. And and so I have this money, like, set aside, you know, and hopefully well, it'll grow a little bit. You know, um, we both are educated. Our spouses are educated. So we have an idea, um, one, from past experience – or just working, you know, in the fields that we're in and understanding that we need to save and be money smart and prepare for our kids in the future. But from my background, um, that was never discussed with me. Um, going to college, I'm the first grandchild. Right. You know, I'm a first generation golf scholarship. Was it partial? It was partial golf scholarship. The other was, you know, grants and student loans. Right. Um, But 
my family did not prepare. And I don't know if they just really didn't expect it because it has not been, it had not happened and it had not been discussed in my family, but I was determined to go by any means. And, you know, I'm one of those people that have student loans out there that I'll probably pay for the rest of my life, but I'm extremely grateful that I had the opportunity to go to school. So I just think that it depends on your background and think about those parents out there that are not educated like us, but they are being exposed now because of this, mm-hmm. to the importance of starting early. So maybe they'll start putting $5 back if they get paid every two weeks. Maybe they'll put 5 bucks back. Maybe they can, you know, just stretch it a little bit to put $20 back. Right. It won't be tuition to pay for Yale, but listen, we've got to push that there's nothing wrong with going to a junior college. And if you save appropriately, you can't afford to send your child. Right, and, you know, student loans, I'm kind of on the fence. I mean, I think they're good. Like, they get kids into college, but I don't know that the counseling's really happening on the front side that needs to happen. It's not as strong as it should be. I mean, I will be tell you right now as a testimony. It's almost too easy. It's too easy. They didn't explain it well enough to me. My parents weren't educated enough to say, no, you're not doing that. And so, you know, as an undergrad, I didn't have to borrow very much. But when looking at earning a master's degree or any other advanced degree, I, I had no other way. Right. And and that and that's why it's good that they're there, you know. Mm-hmm. But you have to be smart about them and you right. got to make sure when you graduate that you pay on them right. because they can negatively impact you, you know. And that's a whole other episode that we could talk about because oh, yeah. um, it's a great struggle for teachers. I mean, I had some doctor friends of ours and they spent a long time paying them off and I have actually I'm thinking of some others that are see, still they paying. make the salary to so, pay a large amount and get true. it done in 10 years that hurts teachers we really ought to do an episode about you know when we talk about teacher salary you're right we need to talk about why that salary is not enough you're right well um have you heard this story um out of Tennessee I know we were talking about Tennessee last week but this week we've got another one and this one's not as happy and it, it just kind of came across as a strange move and I think it's kind of one of these things that um, leadership's looking back on they're like that was a ridiculous decision. Here it is: a Tennessee high school apparently painted over bathroom mirrors because students were late to class and they didn't want them looking at themselves in the mirror. What's your general <laughs> reaction to that? Just hearing that part of it, I immediately closed my eyes when yeah. you said that. There's so many things wrong with that. I mean, one, you might be sending the wrong message to children and and decreasing their self-esteem because they can't look at themselves. Mm -hmm. Two, I don't think that they have something in place or that they're communicating the importance of getting to class on time and what's what's the consequence and where's the reward and where's the true benefit of not missing instructional minutes. Painting the mirror black, they're just going to pull them out of their purses. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good point. And then have you ever seen the kids with the phones? You know, I mean, the pop sockets now, they have a yeah. mirror. You just flip it up. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Um, yeah, that I was thinking I should get one so I can put my lipstick on on the go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so this, what happened here was apparently this happened at a school in Chattanooga, a Hamilton County school district spokesperson claimed that an administrator painted over the mirrors at a Chattanooga Central High School last Friday because students had been spending too long in the bathrooms instead of going to the class. Um, and then so a student, of course, takes the picture sends it to, I think, a sibling who had already graduated. And this was smart. Rather than just the student complaining, the sibling who had already graduated, who's basically... With alumni support. Exactly. And then asked, like directly asked for the alumni to to back her up. And I bet it went viral. And it did. Um, And it did not take long. My question is, can you not get a bathroom monitor? Can you not position yourself at the restroom to say, okay, students, you have 60 seconds left, everybody out? I mean, and then if they don't comply, then now you're dealing with insubordination. But I mean, really? I'm speculating, but I almost like imagine this, that personality type. And I think we all know this person who's just like, 
you know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit there and spray paint those mirrors and I'm going to show those kids. And it's just not the way to think. It's not the way to, to raise kids. Listen, we talked earlier about giving your boss feedback. Right. That is clearly a leader who whose employees do not feel comfortable giving the feedback because somebody should have shut that down, whether it was his right hand, right. <laughs> whomever. I mean, who approved that? Well, and that's just it. I think it was one administrator going rogue and apparently an email quickly went out and saying there was an issue with some mirrors being covered today in our school bathroom. So it was an actual like turnaround within the day. And were the mirrors replaced? Um, but they have been corrected to clearly reflect the images of our excellent students at Central. So there was a quick turnaround on it. but Because that was a poor decision. Yeah, but they must already have an egg on their face. And here it is. This was actually, um, I picked it up in newsweek.com. So, so that's a problem for a superintendent. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you've got to defend this poor decision that clearly did not come past your desk. Um, and if it did, then, you know, as a school board member, I'd have questions for you. But I just don't think that was well thought out. I, I don't think we considered the negative impact it would have on students. And it also now paints your school I in a different light in your community. What person actually pulls out paint and starts painting something? Like, if you think about what's okay, happening Okay, let me there, just say, that was crazy. Like, you're, you're actually, in my mind, you're almost defacing property at that point. It was absolutely an insane decision because let's look at it this way. If a student wanted to be rebellious and went and painted the mirrors, there would have been destruction of property exactly. or vandalism and a suspension involved. Right. Yeah, I would be... Because I wanted to help students get to class faster, so I'm going to paint these mirrors. I would be surprised if this the person who made this decision still has a job, to be uh, honest. He shouldn't, because clearly yeah. he his thought yeah. process is, is off. Right. All right. Well, uh, are you ready for the bright idea? I am ready. Let's go. All right. Most educators will agree that school is more than just teaching academics. It's about teaching life lessons that prepare our children for the future. But how do teachers find the time to focus on that? Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to give us some ideas on how to do just that with what her colleagues call decision education. Jillian Hargrove is the Senior Educational Content Designer for the Alliance for Decision Education and a former high school English teacher. Jillian, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thanks for having me on. So so first we're going to start way up in the air here. What what exactly is decision education? Because I think it's something that we all think about, but we don't really have a name for it. Okay. So uh, yeah, decision education, what we're trying to do with that is help students, you know, even in the first place, recognize the need to make decisions, you know, when that's arising in their lives and um, being able to conduct skillful processes for forming judgments and making decisions. So that can apply to things such as in the moment decisions, you know, where it's like, you know, just, you know, I'm deciding what to eat today or you know, somebody set me off and I want to make sure that I stop myself from engaging in an argument. Um, we also consider habits as decisions. So that's something that we deal with, um, you know, every day. And then, of course, you think of deliberative decision making, which is something more like, you know, am I going to college? Should I buy a car? Some of those, you know, really big pivotal moments in life. So with decision education, we're trying to um, create lessons and programs that address all of those things for students. And, um, you know, we're really targeting students in grades 7 through 12, so the secondary education part. I think most people, I'm going to have trouble articulating this, most people would agree that there is a need for this, but it's almost part of me kind of says, you know, shouldn't we figure this out on our own? Like, why do this? 
Yeah, this is something, you know, a lot of times people just say, oh, you know, this is something that you learn at home or, um, you know, you learn by experience. But we have the attitude that, you know, it's better to learn these kinds of things when you're young and you have opportunities to practice them, um, you know, rather than waiting for something negative to happen in your life. You know, you'd rather know up front. And I think something else that we find pretty motivating is, you know, a lot of times you see online people talk about things that they wish they learned in school. And, um, you know, of course, Sometimes that can be very low-level practical things like, oh, I wish I learned how to do my taxes. But a lot of times it's, um, you know, people talk about ways of, you know, they just wish they knew how to think about their everyday lives, like constructing those habits or, you know, when they have all of a sudden have a lot, have a lot to deal with in their lives, you know, they wish they had the skills to do that. So we do think that it is important to learn it preemptively before you have to deal with something um, that's difficult in your life. So what are the, the little habits that, that you're teaching students um, that are just like the things that maybe you don't think of on a daily basis? Yeah. So I think, you know, instead of actually saying these are specific habits that you need to work on, what we really try to teach with all of our decision-making uh, lessons is actually just how to approach them. Because we know that everybody is going to be dealing with different habits, you know, in, in their own ways or different things are going to be important to them. So with our HabitWise program, we actually focus more on teaching students to recognize how a habit is created, how we form these habits somewhat subconsciously. So uh, we teach about the habit loop, um, which, you know, is just, it applies to really every kind of habit. So no matter whether you're dealing with, um, you know, eating habits or just trying to motivate yourself to exercise or put down the phone so you can get some sleep. That's something that's uh, that works with all of them. So in our HabitWise program, we just talk about how that habit loop where you have uh, a cue and a behavior and a satisfaction and sometimes a negative side effect is present in no matter what kind of habit that you're approaching. And um, we just try to get students to recognize how that affects so many different parts of their lives. So, so you're really kind of digging into the psychology behind habits. Definitely. Um, so Charles Duhigg's um, The Power of Habit was something that was uh, pretty inspirational to us. We thought that was an interesting concept. And, you know, just reading more about habit research, you know, something that is not effective for people is saying you should do this habit instead of that habit. You know, everybody knows that, <laughs> but they don't know how to right. kind of pick the habit apart. And um, something that the psychologist uh, Judson Brewer talks about is just really getting curious about your habit. And, you know, once you kind of know all the little gears that, that work within a habit, it's easier to just figure out, all right, what's the habit that I, you know, want, want to do to replace the existing one. Okay. So who's backing you all? You guys are, are a nonprofit. Who's the, who are the, the people, the powers that be that say like, this is something that we need to, to get out into schools. So right now, you know, we have just uh, a lot of people who are have been our supporters for the past five years who actually are in the business world, and they have found a lot of these things, you know, um, you know, just with deliberate decision making, especially, uh, has been helpful to them in business strategy. So it really comes from a place where you know you see all this kind of stuff in pop psychology books that have appeared in recent decades and also business strategy. And, um, you know, people are snapping these up, but they're not really accessing them until they need to use them, um, you know, in business or just the workplace or in their lives. So it really just comes from people who've been talking about this stuff behind the scenes in their work and say, you know, wouldn't have been so much nicer if we learned this stuff earlier in life. So, so you were talking about the kind of the little things, the habits, but you also mentioned that, that you guys offer some education on, on the big things, like you said, purchasing a car, purchasing a house. How, what resources do you offer educators to, to teach that? 
So um, the place where we actually got started with that was um, a, co- a problem that's common to students in Philadelphia and then also just other big cities is that there is a school choice situation where students can actually apply to a number of high schools and, you know, they sometimes have over 100 schools to pick from. Um, and, you know, they're not guaranteed that they'll get into all of them. But a lot of students don't even know where should I apply in the first place because so many of these schools have, you know, different themes or, you know, they, they just have different uh, options in terms of what they're offering. So that was actually where we got started because that's one of the, you know, few truly deliberate decisions that the people who are in middle school that young are able to approach. So we put together uh, a program called High School Explorer that really just breaks down some of those elements of deliberative decision-making, where it is really just stretching it out into a process and, um, you know, just making sure that you're gathering information. So there's some media literacy elements in there. And then, um, you know, just being really aware of what are your preferences and how do each of these alternatives stack up to it? Because most often for, for students who have, you know, a big call to make like that, whether it, you know, it's, it's in more rare cases that they would be going on to high school where they can choose which high school they're going to, but more so, yeah, like the college situation, you know, it's more that you want to do what your friends are doing, or you just want to get the decision over with because it feels difficult. So we try to provide resources that really just, you know, break that process down into the different elements. So really considering alternatives and how they match up to one's preferences or goals is something that we try to provide in our programs. So for listeners that were listening carefully at the top of the show, I said you're with the Alliance for Decision Education, but that that term, decision education, is that something that you all coined or is it something that you heard about and then say, let's let's build off of this? So yeah, we're actually trying to get that term to gather some, some strength. So um, there are a couple of other organizations or people who are doing similar work to us, and we've long been trying to figure out, you know, what do we actually call this thing? So decision skills is something else that we talk about. Um, and then, you know, we finally recently actually made a pivot in our strategy where we are um, trying to become field builders and just really you know, bring together and try to amplify what other people in the field are doing. So just in conversations behind the scenes with people doing similar work, we said, all right, you know what, we actually need a term for this thing. So we're going with decision education, you know, with the capital D and E. So I would say it is kind of a new usage that we're trying to get out there just so people can recognize, you know, this is the umbrella term and then start to realize what kinds of things fit underneath it and whether they align with what we're trying to do. Um, under that umbrella, and we already talked about habits, but you also have, I think, a program that you guys call Mindful Choices, which almost seems to be like, we, we've done an episode where, where a school district out of Baltimore was doing, um, I think it was, I don't know if it was yoga or all sorts of breathing techniques. It's kind of, it seems to be in line with that, right? Yeah, definitely. And of course, mindfulness in schools has become trendy recently. And, um, you know, that was the first program that we started with because we really just had the the idea that, you know what, if you can kind of control those in the moment impulses, um, that really is the foundation to, you know, just being able to uh, better approach habits and deliberate decisions. So that was where we got our start. And um, we were going direct to a lot of schools within the Philadelphia School District and helping teachers, uh, you know, learn, training them to lead their classes in mindful breathing techniques. And that was something that um, a lot of teachers just found, you know, brought some more calm uh, to the classroom, you know, at the beginning of the day, or when students were coming back from recess is just a way to get ready for learning. Before you were in this role, you were a uh, high school English teacher, correct? Yes. Okay. So 
what's it been like? I mean, has this been rewarding for you to to leave the classroom, but still be able to kind of teach these lessons and kind of spread them through schools? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the decision education thing, even though we weren't using that term, when I was a teacher, I always found myself trying to bring in elements of psychology that I had learned about, you know, when I took AP psychology back in high school and learned a little bit more about ed psych. So I was always interested in things like um, locus of control and motivation, because that was something that actually came up a lot in the literature that I taught. I, um, I taught 12th grade British literature. So I always found that those psychology elements were things that actually help students get a little bit more engaged in the literature. And when we were analyzing, you know, why did a a character do this or that? um, It was always interesting to really talk about decisions and break it down that way. So that was something that I actually always had an interest in and also mindfulness as well. And tried to bring that in even when I was talking about things like Sherlock Holmes, where it's just this idea of, you know, trying to be more observant and taking in and gathering information and analyzing it as a way to make, make decisions before you take action. So that was something that, you know, when this role came up, it was just a perfect alignment with things that I was already interested in. And, um, you know, I was just always interested in making English instruction a little bit more practical. And this is just an interesting opportunity that, you know, really addresses practical skills in, in ways that haven't been done before in schools. I mean, I guess as a teacher, though, you must have saw a need for this type of education with the students that you were working with. Yeah, so being a 12th grade teacher, um, decision education, the, the need definitely uh, made itself known because I had so many students, no matter you know what level of English they were taking, you know they all had to make a decision what they were doing next year. So you know some students were going on to college, but they had to decide whether they were going to four-year or two-year colleges and where they were moving away. Uh, but you also have students who are trying to decide between vocational school or a trade school um, or go onto the military or just go into the workforce. So definitely, you know, even though they didn't face those deliberate decisions every day, you know, they had so many decisions also had to make about you know, their lifestyle and what they wanted to be as young adults. So this is definitely something where I think students would have felt like they were using their time a little bit more wisely if that was the kind of thing that we addressed in school. I actually found your work through a Medium post that you had made where you were talking about decision education um, in the classroom and how to, to basically evangelize your students without it feeling forced. Um, how do you do that? A lot of teachers are doing this kind of thing already where they are just trying to give students a little bit more responsibility in the classroom. And I think it's something that, you know, it comes up if you have students, especially who are doing Uh, experiential learning projects, which not everybody has the opportunity to put in place. But at the very least, most teachers are doing something with group projects. And, you know, there's so much focus on, you know, 21st century type skills these days, where it's just, you know, trying to give everybody a little bit more um, sense of leadership. And I think that is something where it's just a, a natural alignment where you can teach students how to just, you know, approach the project in a collaborative way where they are just focusing on, all right, How do I, you know, what is the approach that we're going to take in the first place on this project? So generating some alternatives, um, having a little bit more systematic process of gathering information. And then something that we think is really key to uh, better decision making is predicting outcomes. So that is something where a lot of times, especially young people, just rely on wishful thinking. You know, whatever they want to happen, they kind of expect to happen. But it's just um, kind of an easy thing to help students, especially if they're procrastinating or they're distracting, just to make a prediction, you know, like what grade do we think we're going to get and why? So um, just thinking about that more deeply and then um, following it up after they take action with some reflection piece. So I think some of these things are pretty natural uh, to many teachers, but 
you know, with that post that we did, uh, you know, just even having kind of a decision-making process organizer was something that I think, you know, just puts it on paper and helps students just get more organized as they're uh, approaching that kind of thinking. Uh, I know your website is full of resources for teachers, but are all those free? Like if, if an educator is listening and they want to go check those out, do you just go to the website? Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, if you just uh, go to allianceforddecisioneducation.org, we do have uh, programs for yeah, mindful choices. So the mindful breathing program and then habit wise. And then, um, you know, we also even have teacher resources. So one's called burnout blockers, where it's just using uh, decision education principles in your professional life. So everything is available for free. And um, yeah, we're, we're happy to just start talking to people more and uh, learn how they're using it. Yeah. And so do you guys actually do coaching as well? Or is it is it just pulling those resources and bringing them into the classroom? So, yeah, as soon as we're able to get in contact with everybody, you know, right now we're kind of in a model where if somebody reaches out, we're happy to work with them. And, um, you know, even if they have kind of a seed of an idea that they're thinking about with decision education, we work with them just to talk about, you know, how how we can uh, bring it to fruition. So um, previously we had a model where we were going directly to schools, coaching teachers, but now we switch because we have people from all over the country um, rather than, you know, in one single district. So anytime that people want to reach out, we're always just happy to talk more about how we can support them. All right. Well, the uh, term again is decision education. The website is allianceforddecisioneducation.org. If anybody wants any more information, Jillian, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, inform us about it. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Sure. <laughs> All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Now I have to say decision education, of course. Yes. Well, and that might line up with our next question. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? We should definitely be teaching all kinds of decision education principles. Um, so helping students with in-the-moment choices, conscious habit formation, and deliberate decisions. What does every child deserve? Every child deserves to be loved, for sure. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Finding the time. I think you know there are lots of demands on your time, and there's lots of ideas out there, and then just trying to make changes within a limited amount of time is very difficult. What's the best gift to give an educator? I think I guess I already answered that as well. Definitely just more time to think, I think, um, especially when I was in the classroom, you know, there, I was always just looking for extra time to, you know, just figure out what can we do differently? How can we make improvements rather than kind of always being in that go, go, go mode? Which teacher changed your life? Uh, that was Mrs. Tolbert. So she was my journalism instructor in high school. And uh, why she changed my life was just because, um, you know, we really had an experiential learning approach to uh, journalism. And it was something where, you know, we kind of you know, worked on it in school and out of school. And I just, you know, learned so much from collaboration and also just writing about that. And um, that was something that I always wished I could have that kind of model. I wished I could have uh, taught in regular English classes, too. And last question, pen or pencil? Ooh, uh, pencil, actually. I'm, I'm still a pencil person. I think pen's winning right now. I need to go and tabulate it, but it's good to see someone in the pencil column. So uh, yeah. we, we appreciate that. Jillian uh, Hardgrove, again, uh, the uh, organization is the Alliance for Decision Education. Allianceforddecisioneducation.org is the website. We appreciate your time. All right. Thank you.
That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.